we just had church. And and we're just halfway done. We're just halfway done. Um, Man, if you're a guest here and you're like, man, those people are crazy. Yep. The Bible would say, the Apostle Paul would say, we have become fools for Christ. Crazy for Christ. Crazy for Christ. And we just can't control ourselves, but we're glad you are here with us. Amen? Amen. Hey, um, if, if you can't preach after something like that, you can't preach. You know what I'm saying? And um, it, it's, it's really hard for me to do what I'm about to do because I want to preach. But uh, I'm not today. I'm preaching tomorrow night, and I'm preaching next Sunday, but I'm not preaching today. But, oh, my Lord, are you in for a treat? And uh, she's about to step on this stage, and yes, I said she. I was wondering, I was wondering if the women were going to show up for me there. Let me, let me tell you about my good friend, Pastor Heather Simple. She has served as a senior pastor of Red Cedar Church in Rice Lake, Wisconsin. Under Pastor Heather's six years of leadership as the senior pastor of that church, the congregation has grown from 300 in a storefront to a multi-site movement that now reaches 120 miles of the Northwoods region of Northwest Wisconsin. I didn't even know God visited Wisconsin. (laughs) But obviously he does. She is married to Jeff and they have three children. Eileen, a sophomore, Bella, a seventh grader who is right here on the front. Would you give Bella some love? And Judah, Judah, who is a second grader. The family recently moved from Wisconsin to my good friend, Pastor Kevin Myers Church in Atlanta, Georgia, called 12 Stone. 12 Stone has hired Pastor Heather. In the Lawrenceville, Georgia area, Heather is now a part of 12 Stone Central Campus leadership team. She graduated from Southern Wesleyan University, and Jeff grew up in Texas. Both are thrilled to be back in the South. Glory to God. They called the South, I love the way she put it there, the promised land flowing with sweet tea and barbecue sauce. Before I bring her out, I just felt led to say something. Some of you grew up in traditions, and some of you know churches still to this day who take a hard stance and say that women don't have a role in the church. And if they do, they don't have a significant role. <laughs> now, now, sister, you just said something I wouldn't say, and that's saying a lot. She said, the devil is a liar. I wouldn't call any of them that, and no, she probably didn't mean it like that, but just hear me for a pipe down for a moment. I truly believe in the core of my being that that stance, and again, there's still churches in our area that, that, that they don't put women in roles of leadership. I truly believe in the core of my being that that is not biblically faithful. And you, you say, well, ho, ho, 
I've heard people say, what about that passage where Paul says, women sit down and be quiet, or a good translation, sit down and shut up. If you study the text and you know what was going on in the Corinthian church, contextually, it is a known fact in the early biblical days that there were cultish women groups coming in to worship and disturbing Paul's worship celebrations. So Paul said to the cultish group of women, sit down and be quiet. Guess what? If you were a part of a women's cultish group and you busted up in here on a Sunday and you started interrupting our worship celebration, we would tell you to sit down and be quiet or leave. God is a God of order. And so you can't proof text that verse. If you do, I got a question for you. What do you do with Philippians 4? Write it down. Study it later. Philippians 4, Paul lists women who are in major leadership roles in the church. You want another one? What do you do with Romans 16? Romans 16, Paul, the same person who said women sit down and be quiet. This is why you got to learn to read the Bible correctly. The same person who said women sit down and be quiet in Romans 16, Paul lists woman after woman after woman after woman who was a vital part of his ministry. And lastly, but surely not least, let me just say this. Why in the world, if women weren't called to speak and lead just like a man, why would God in his sovereignty allow the first preachers of the gospel, the first preachers, come on, of the resurrected Jesus in the gospels be women? You're like, what are you, what you talking about? Go read the Gospels. The first people on the scene of the empty tomb were women. And they were the first ones that uttered, He is risen. So, it's just my way of reminding you who we are. We've always been like this. I met my wife at Duke Divinity School, called into the ministry. She was a called woman of God. And so we've always taken this stand, not because it's politically correct. Hear me. I don't give a flying flip about being politically correct. I want to be biblically correct. And when you read the Bible, I'll give you one more and then I'm off the stage. Paul was saying in Galatians, there is neither male nor female, Jew or Gentile. I'll, I'll add a few more. Black or white, rich or poor, for we are all one in Christ. And so I praise God for women in ministry. We have some amazing women on our staff and amazing women volunteers leading all over this place. And I will say that the truth is I don't know where the church would be without the women of God. So all of you, male, female, black, white, brown, rich, poor, whoever you are, do what we do. Because she's a great deal. Oh, you better get ready. This is, a, this, is, this is an amazing message. The Bible says give honor where honor is due, but give double honor to the person who brings forth the word of God. Do what you do and give it up for the woman of God in the house of God, preaching the word of God to the people of God. Come on, church. That's so good. That's so good. can I just confirm, even though it's probably not necessary, that this is a New Hope movement? Yes, yes and amen.
And let me say this as well. And, uh, and Benji knows this, I pastors do, we do not just say this flippantly. So what I'm about to say, we don't just say this everywhere we go, but I'm telling you as sure as I'm staying in here, if I lived in this area, I'd be attending this church in a hot minute. Yes. In fact, if this is your first time and you're thinking, hmm, I don't know, do I wanna be part of this church? Is this where I'm gonna land? The answer is yes. Yes, oh my word, that worship today. Come, come on. Like, okay, all right. We got stuff to talk about and I got a time limit, so here we go. Well, as Pastor Benji mentioned, yes, my husband and I and our three children, my sweet Bella is here with us today. We recently moved from Wisconsin, I heard what he said, I've wondered the same thing, down to Georgia, we are glad to be back in the South. My children are getting used to it. You know, they're walking from like the car to our house and they're looking at me going, what is, what is this stickiness? What, it, what is happening to me? And I looked at them and I said, oh babies, that is the dew of heaven. That is what that is. Yes, it is down here in the South. But anytime we start a new season in our life, whether you know it's a move or, or perhaps you know, school is starting. So in our house with school starting, we begin to have not just uh, new start conversations, but fresh start. Like, okay, we're gonna get our homework done this year, kids. Yes. Uh, yeah, we're gonna get to all of our classes on time, children. Yep, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We start to have these fresh start conversations. In fact, Jeff and I, my husband, we've been having these fresh start conversations. You know what, babe, we're moving. It's a new day, it's a new season. You know what else I think we should do? I think we should get in shape. We're going to a new place. You know, no, uh, nobody, nobody wants to see, you know, that much of us on stage. And so let's, uh, let's, let's get in shape. And so I have called several gyms. In fact, I can tell you anything you need to know about all the gyms within a 30 mile or so conference of our home. I know a lot about them, I haven't been to them, but you know what, I've called them. I've called them, they know my name. No, but whenever we have these fresh starts, there's always all kinds of things we wanna do differently. We might say, I wanna be thinner, or maybe we might say, I just wanna be healthy. Or maybe you go into a season and say, you know, I'm gonna work less this season, or I'm gonna work harder. Or students, maybe it's better grades or better class attendance, or maybe you're just going into a season and you're thinking, you know what, I'm gonna spend more time with my family in this season. And there are so many apps, books, programs, blogs you can go to that will tell you exactly how to do that. Everybody's got an opinion. In fact, you can scroll through social media and it is lined with inspirational quotes that are meant to help you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get on with the goal. In fact, if you wanna know if someone has had a bad day, you simply look to see if their feed has changed from puppies and kittens to inspirational quotes all about how it's okay to fail. But these are the things that we do to try and get ourselves going. Here's the irony in all of it. The very culture, the very culture that tells us how to look, what to wear, how to dress, how to be, what success looks like, what we should aspire to in our lives is the also very same culture that works against the things it points us to. For example, I follow Workout Wednesday on Instagram as well as Food Network. 
because it makes sense in my mind, doesn't it? We do these things. And do you ever feel like you're being tricked? Do you ever feel like they want me to um, eat healthy, but then the world tells me to go to McDonald's. They want me to be financially responsible, but then they keep offering me low interest credit cards, right? Do you ever feel like, what, what is happening in this world? How is this going on? At a deeper level, we have a culture that says, value hard work, but it's okay to quit if your boss hurts your feelings and it gets kind of hard. Oh, I came to step on some toes today. I'm leaving afterwards, so it doesn't really matter. And then Pastor Benji can just receive all the emails. That's how it works, that's how I feel like it should work. Now, it's when the culture says value marriage, yet divorce has never been easier. I do sometimes feel like I think I'm being tricked. I think somebody's messing with me. These are very confusing times, church. Very confusing times when you turn on the television and you listen to the radio or you read things online and they seem to contradict each other. Good news though, Jesus provided some clarity. Yes, he did. So we're gonna jump into a passage of scripture that I think should just probably clear up all of our questions. We're gonna go to Luke chapter 12. Oh, do you hear the sound of Bible pages rustling? Isn't that like music to your ears? Do you hear it? It's a beautiful sound, beautiful sound. Never take it for granted, y'all. Okay, um, Luke chapter 12, verse 49. Jesus says, I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled, but I have a baptism to undergo and what constraint I am under until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. So to sum up, Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring division. Say what? Ryan. That's supposed to clear things up. In all of the confusion, in all of the things that people are saying, in all of the conflict, in all of the arguments, in all of the debate, Jesus stands back and says, oh, you know what? I came to bring division. It's one of those statements in scripture that is so hard for us to understand. So we're gonna unpack it today and look at how this passage actually intends to bring us great calm and great clarity. See, the word divide simply means to separate. To separate, to put one thing here and another thing here. You can be cooking, you can be baking, you can be doing um, landscaping, you can be doing any number of things and you understand what it means to divide things. One here, one here. And Jesus said, I came to do just that. So I'm gonna give you a foundational statement for today. I'm gonna to go ahead and give it to you. So if you're a note taker, write this down. If you're not a note taker, pretend to write it down because I'm a teacher and it makes me feel better. So just let's do that. Don't act like you don't know how you did it in high school. You put your head down and you pretended to write when your teacher was looking. Let's do this. Here we go. It's the foundational statement for today. 
Jesus came to separate truth from trickery. Jesus came to separate truth from trickery. A few years ago, we lost our family dog. I know. Um, we had had this dog since we got married, Jeff and I, and this dog, our kids had grown up with this dog, um, a little tiny little thing named Casey. And we um, loved this dog. It had been with us through many, many things. You know, when you have those days that nobody understands anything, but you tell your dog and they look at you and lick your face and you think you're validated in every way. And um, I loved this dog and I'm not even really an animal lover, but I always love, you know how you love dogs before you have kids and then you have kids and you stop loving dogs? That's me, but I loved this one. And this one passed away and we were all, I'm telling you, it was, it was a bad day in our house. I mean, we were all deeply grieving. And my family says to me, my husband and my three children, we need to get another dog. We need another dog. And I said, whoa, no, no, no. Because how do rebound relationships always go? <laughs> Am I right? Do they ever go well? No. In fact, don't you cycle through several of them? Yes. I said, this is not a good idea. This is not a good idea. It always takes like two of the lesser to equal the first of the greater. So let's not do this. And they were like, you're right, you're right, you're right. One week later, my husband brings not one, but two dogs home. <laughs> two dogs. And you know what he says to me? He goes, you said it takes two of the lesser to equal one of the greater. So I brought two dogs. These dogs, um, I'm telling you, I mean, I don't know any other way to say it. They were just straight out of the pit of hell. They were, they came, it's like they could smell that I didn't like them. And they were like mini things, mini Yorkies or something like that. These, you're deceived, my friends. These dogs, they're only like this tall and I swear they could leap upwards of six feet. They would just leap and leap and bark and they were possessed by some evil spirit and they would run throughout the house and they were so fast and so quick and they were horrifying. And I kept looking at my family like I don't understand why we have these dogs. And one day I went into my closet. Oh, see, you're with me. And I had purchased and was about to put on for the very first time, a brand new pair of soft, genuine brown leather boots. Ladies, you feel me? And I had visions of putting them on my leg and thanking God for the animals he created that produce such leather. Don't email me, email Benji. But I reach my hand down into the boots and I feel my hand kind of lodge itself into something that feels similar to uh, peanut butter. And I pull my hand out, take a whiff and discover this isn't a peanut butter. Have you ever had anything happen in your life and you're so overcome with rage, you can barely contain yourself, but you love Jesus and you can't do anything about it. So I, now maybe your first reaction or really a normal person's reaction would be to run to the sink. 
and run the scene, get this off your head. No, 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 not me. I go looking for my husband. That's right. That's right. What's well, already? It's already done. My hand's tainted. Who cares? He's in the kitchen. I walk in with my hand in the air. I go, hey, babe. He sees me, the look on my face, my hand in the air, and he, you could see him adding two plus two plus two. Okay. He, you could see him adding what's happening. I proceed. I say, you better run. You better run. He starts, I'm chasing my husband around the island in our kitchen. My children are watching. And in my head, I'm saying, I don't care. I'll pay for the therapy. I am getting this done. Those dogs are no longer with us. Do not feel sorry for the dogs. All right. But have you ever been tricked? Something that looked so cute and sweet or something that looked like something you really, really wanted only to discover it's nothing like what you wanted at all. And we can laugh at a story like that or, or maybe we can even say it's something as light as a practical joke or some kind of high school, junior high prank. But what happens when it's on a deeper level? When it's betrayal, when you've been lied to, or when a business partner made you a promise and then didn't fulfill their end of the deal and you were tricked and now you're left holding the consequences. It's when you're taken advantage of. It's when someone goes into something with you, making you promises and then has no intention whatsoever of fulfilling them You've been tricked. <clears throat> I hate being tricked. And I hate the hurt that comes afterwards. But see, Jesus came to do what? To separate truth from trickery. He came to separate it. He came to help us know. He came so that we might be able to discern and to know right from wrong, truth from lie, heaven from hell, holy from unholy. In fact, in John 14, 6, Jesus makes a declaration that is the declaration of all time. He says, I am the way, what? The truth, the life. He says, I am the truth. I am the truth. In case you're wondering what is right and what is wrong, he says, look at me, listen to me, follow me. I am the truth. Jesus drew a line in the sand. Men and women, that's what he did. He said, here I am, I am the truth, which means that anything on the other side of this line is not. Anything that would go against what I've said, what I've written, what I've pronounced, what I have done, anything that would go against it is not truth because I am the truth. And there is this line right here. And guess what? We don't get to not choose. People like to live this life and think that they don't have to pick a side of the line. Oh, yeah, you do. Because actually in John 14, I'm sorry, in Matthew, Jesus says, if you're not with me, you're against me. So if you don't choose him by virtue of not choosing him, you're choosing evil. Now, we really don't like that. Because in our world, in our culture, we want to go to the line and erase it or make it dotted or make it blurry 
or make our own. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So I want to sort of unpack for you, if I can, how do we navigate this thing in our culture that is so confusing of what is true and what is not true? So I brought a visual illustration that I thought, you know, I actually saw a friend of mine do this, <clears throat> and it was so helpful to me. And so I thought I would share it with you, thinking it might add value to you as well. So if these buckets contain, I don't know, statements, actions, invitations that we receive in this life, they just contain things. They contain belief systems. There is this first bucket of essential things, essential truths, non-negotiable. These are the things that you don't need to argue about, you don't need to pray about, you don't need to wonder about. These are essential things that Jesus said, do these, believe these, follow these without reservation. So things like this would be, <clears throat> you could look into God's word and know for sure what God has to say about salvation. He says, you cannot save yourself and Jesus is the only way to the Father. He says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, then you will be saved. That is an essential truth, it is non-negotiable. There are other things in this bucket of essential. Um, you don't need to wonder what the Bible says about marriage. Do you know, as a pastor, I've actually had people say things to me like, hey, Heather, you know what, um, Pastor Heather, I'm, I'm really struggling with whether or not to stay in my marriage. I've really recently become involved with this other person, and I'm just really wanting you to help me pray about whether I should stay. <laughs> I heard from the Lord. He said, stay. <clears throat> there are just some things we know. We know what the Bible says about racism. We know what the Bible says about equality between men and women. We know what he has to say about giving. We know what he has to say about sin. We know what he has to say about holy. What if the church stopped arguing about these things and were unified over these things? <clears throat> what if the world who keeps trying to figure out what to do with all these things looked at the church who seemed to have figured it out because we are unified in the essentials. What if they started coming to the church saying, you guys seem to have figured this out. Can you help us? Can you lead us? What if the church began to affect the culture rather than the culture affect the church? What if we got into God's word and actually knew his word? Then there's the non-essential things. How many of you... Um, are cat lovers. Raise your hand, confess, you're in church. <laughs> How many of you are dog lovers? Okay, you are the holy and righteous ones, I understand. <laughs> cat lovers, we pray for you. I really, really, you know, there's no mention of cats in uh, the ark, but anyway. <laughs> Why do I bring this up? Well, it's just another, you know, I think it's funny. And I also, um, some of you cat lovers uh, have mistaken um, that that is something that is non-essential. I think you've placed it in the essential and I'm here to help. <laughs> essential things are things that we would differ over. So I can ask you a question like, who's a cat person, who's a dog person, people differ. I can ask you all kinds of questions like, do you prefer this? Do you prefer this? Do you prefer this? Do you prefer this? In fact, I want you to just look around the room, look beside you, look around you, look at the people behind you. Go ahead, look at them right now, look. And look at him like one second too long until it gets uncomfortable. That's funny. <laughs> Not for any reason other than just for fun. 
Can we all agree that we're different? In fact, I bet if I interviewed every single person in this church, I'll bet that every single one of you would give me your idea of what the perfect church should look like. You tell me what the music should be, what the volume should be, what the message should be, like how it should feel, whether things should be available. You would start to tell me all kinds of things about what you think and you don't think about church. But let me explain something to you. Those are all non-essential things. Those are preferences. The problem is that when we mistake our preferences for God's purposes, things get messed up. What we have done as a church is we have taken some of these things and we put them in there and completely forgotten. Or we've taken these things and put them in here. Well, I don't like the music. Um, it just doesn't help. I can't worship the Lord with that music. I just can't worship with it. I mean, it's loud. I don't even know what to do with it. And it becomes an essential thing to you. It was never meant to be an essential thing. Worship itself, worshiping God is essential. In fact, if you don't like to worship God, you're gonna hate heaven. Oh, you're gonna hate it. It's like worship night forever, right? <laughs> I'll sit in the back. There's no back row in heaven. Okay. <laughs> but as the church, we like to do this. Oh, we like to do this. I could tell you the story of a church that actually split over the color of the curtains. Like two years ago. I'm not talking about 20 years ago, 30 years ago. You think this, this stuff doesn't happen? And I know because this church is a one, I'm telling you, this is a wonderful, beautiful church. And so some of these things, I know you don't get it, but let me just tell you something. The devil would seek to destroy and to kill that, which is good. So listen to me. You keep the essential where it belongs and you keep the non-essential where it belongs. Okay? You have freedom to have preferences. In the church that I was senior pastor in Wisconsin, there were some things that I just, it wasn't my preference and it didn't matter to me because God's purposes were greater and it was about reaching those far from God. So I will set down my preferences so that we can reach those who need to know the Lord because it's the essential things that matter. Here's, here's the biggest trick of all. Here's what the world has said because they've been listening to the enemy's whispers. The enemy has gotten not just people who are unbelievers, but believers, the church, to believe that because Jesus said, love me and love others, that this word love is the bucket that everything should be in. The essentials, the non-essentials, it all just goes into love. There's no lines, there's no division, there's no separation. We just put it all in one bucket. You make your own truth. How do you feel today? That's my truth. How will I feel tomorrow? I don't know, but it'll be my truth then. And it's okay, because we're just going to cover it all in love. We're just, we're just going to put it all together. We don't like division. We don't like it. We don't like conflict. We don't like difficult conversations. We don't want to do it. We don't want to make anybody feel bad. We don't want to make them feel bad for their sin. We don't want them to, we don't want them to feel, make them feel like we're rejected. So we're just going to love everybody. Let me tell you. All you gotta do is watch the news for five minutes. How well is this trying to unite everything? Is it keeping everything united? No. no. Watch the news for five minutes. Everything is divided, 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 is it not? This doesn't work. When Jesus said, I came to divide, not to bring peace, he wasn't saying, 
He was, he, was, he was saying, I'm coming to bring division, to bring separation, to bring clarification, to bring something to a very confusing time so that everyone would know what choice to make. When you were in elementary school and you were learning math, what's one of the first mathematical functions you learned? It was addition, correct? Then what came next? And then? And then? So wouldn't it thereby be logical to assume that division is the deeper thinking? That it is division that is the higher level. That it is only in division that all the rest of this makes sense. If you stay at addition, 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 you never graduate. You never fully understand. Jesus didn't divide because he didn't love. Oh, Jesus was the very definition of love. But hear me, church, love has been mismessaged and mismanaged among us. Unconditional love is both grace and truth. This says it's only grace, but Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth without grace is judgment. Nobody likes that. You ever heard somebody go, well, I'm just, I'm just telling the truth. I'm just being honest. I'm just being myself. And I say, you know what? That's why you have no friends. <laughs> go be yourself somewhere else, thank you. Because truth without grace is judgment. But grace without truth is enabling. It's enabling. Nobody wants just one or the other. We think we want all grace. No, we don't. We want truth. Do you wanna be in any kind of relationship anywhere with anybody that lies to you? You want truth. Likewise, do you wanna be in a relationship where somebody only tells you the truth and never forgives you? No. You have to have both in order to have real love. And Jesus came to bring the fullness of the expression of love that we might be able to look at it and see and learn and live. And, and often I think it gets confusing because we have this Old Testament law and then we have this New Testament um, love. And Jesus said, I am love. I am grace and truth. I came to bring that. In fact, the two commandments that are the greatest are love God and love each other. So Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the law and all of the prophets. And so what can be very comfortable and what we like to live in is we like to say, so holiness must have changed because the law has now been fulfilled through Jesus and Jesus died for me and forgave my sins. Now there's grace on Offered to me and we begin to abuse grace and forget that there's something meaningful to learn from what happened prior. Let me show you. According to the law, so in the Old Testament, it said, do not murder. Now, after Jesus, love said, love your enemies, which is tougher to love your enemies or just to stop murdering? Love your enemies, I hope. If not, we could talk later, or not. <laughs> talk, Benji, Benji will take it. Um, before Jesus, the law said, do not commit adultery. After Jesus, love said, if you even look at someone lustfully, you've committed adultery, which one's tougher? You afraid to say amen? It's okay. 
Before Jesus, the law said an eye for an eye. With Jesus, love said, turn the other cheek. Which one's harder? The law said, give 10% tithe. Love in the New Testament, the New Testament believers gave 30% of their income often, which requires more? Love. How many of you really like the law now? You're like, I'm all about the law. Okay. <laughs> Before Jesus, the law said that a lamb had to die to atone for our sins. When Jesus came and love was established, he died for you, shedding his own blood to atone for your sins, finally, forevermore. Which one requires more? Love. Love always requires more than law, but we love religion. Give me religion, give me the rules, help me know. Jesus says, come over here to my side where I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, I am about relationship. Relationship requires more. I came to divide, I came to make it clear. And it is true. Mothers and daughters will be against each other. Fathers and sons will find themselves at odds. I'd be willing to wager that if we could talk amongst us in the room, there's a whole lot of you that you made a decision for Jesus Christ and you've made decisions on the pursuit of holiness in your life. And you've had family members and people you loved on the other side of the line looking at you, not understanding. Division is hard, but it's real. And division can create unity because it creates clarity. It's my deepest belief that the church is truly a hub of hope. It should be the hope of the world. And church, we have got to get it together. A few years ago at Red Cedar, where I was a senior pastor, we had two women enter our doors two lesbian women, one of them was pregnant and they had two children. They came into our doors and on our walls at Red Cedar Church, it says, everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, anything is possible. So it says everybody's welcome and, and we believed just that. So here they come in the doors and they came in with, with a very sort of defensive posture, anticipating that we would reject them, that we would toss them out. Even when you would speak to them, they were almost, I mean, they were sort of like, moderately cordial, but they were very much waiting to see what would happen. I walked in on Easter Sunday morning, they had continued to attend, and I walked in on Easter Sunday morning to see them at the front doors greeting, welcoming people in on Easter. Very pregnant, Cheryl, and Michelle right beside her, and it was a small town and everybody knew. And I had a few people come to me and say, this, this is not good. This is not good. We don't know how this happened. Who signed them up? We have no idea how this happened. <laughs> Did you sign them up? Did you sign them up? I don't know. Heather, we're so sorry. We just, we just don't know that this should be the face of our church. I mean, it's Easter. I mean, look at all these people coming in. We just don't know if these people should stand here and greet and open the doors for people. We just don't know. I actually had a gentleman come up to me, say to me, how in the world did you let them in this place? I said, oh, same way I let you in this place. <laughs> then security started coming. They weren't worried about him. They were worried about me. They were like, all right, Pastor, it's time. It's time to preach. So coming away. Let me tell you about Michelle and Cheryl. So a few months later, Michelle and Cheryl got saved. 
radical transformation. One month later, I come into my office. The, the receptionist says to me, hey, Heather, uh, Michelle and Cheryl are here to see you. I said, okay, great. I go into the office with them and they look at me and they say this thing that, I mean, I wish every new believer would say this. I wish veteran Christians would say this. They looked at me and they sat down in my office and they said, we're Christians now and we just wanna go all in and our lifestyle is not pleasing to the Lord. It is not pure and we need your help getting out of it. I looked at them and I said, come again. I mean, I really did. I was like, what? What? And they said, we don't, um, we don't know how to do this. We have children. They're crying. I start crying. We're living together. We don't know. We don't know how to separate this. We don't, we don't, we don't know what to do. We just know. We just know that this is not okay. And we need your help. We've been reading the Bible, come again, right? They've heard us talk about it. They knew what we believed. We really do believe that everybody's welcome. We really do believe that nobody's perfect, but we really do believe that anything's possible, my friends, because those two women, and not without tears and not without grief, in fact, in probably the five most difficult things I've done in ministry, that's one of them, was walk them through one of the most grieving, difficult, unmeshing of two people I've ever walked anyone through. But today, today they are leading in the church. Their children are healthy. They're co-parenting, doing a beautiful job. Honestly, if men and women would co-parent as well as two women do, I'm just telling you. <laughs> Living lives of purity and commitment to the Lord. Michelle became our nursery director at our church. They're living lives of holiness because they understand that the standard never changed. Jesus drew a line in the sand. And, and scripture says, Jesus can redeem and restore anything where the culture wants us to follow for the trick that there are just some things about you that God cannot redeem and restore. There are just some things about you that are broken that can never be fixed. Let me just tell you something. There is nothing, nobody, nowhere, no thing that God cannot redeem and restore in this place. But you've got to humble yourselves before God and be willing, be willing to answer these questions. I'm gonna give you a few questions. You should write these down because these are good. You should ask yourself, where do I need to extend grace? Where do I need to extend grace? And then you know what else you should ask yourself? And this is even harder. Where do I need to receive grace? Where have I not forgiven myself? Where am I covered in shame? Where am I walking through life with a shroud of humiliation because I don't believe that I don't have to be broken forever? Where do you need to receive grace? Then third, ask yourself, where do I need to offer grace? truth. What person, what relationship in your life do you have? And you've been afraid to tell them the truth because the truth, you're afraid they're going to get mad. You're afraid to get upset. I mean, parents, you're so afraid to make your children upset. You're trying to be their friend instead of their parent. And you won't just tell them the truth about their life that they're living. And let me tell you something, 10 years later, they're going to look at you and say, why didn't you tell me? Who is in your life that you need to tell the truth to? Not in judgment, not like in a condemning way, but in love. 
And then here's the hardest one of all, I think. Where do you need to receive truth? What is that thing in your life? And you know what it is right now. You know what it is that you keep pushing out and pushing out. You think people can't see it. Maybe you think the Holy Spirit's not paying attention. Maybe you've had people you love say this to you and you won't listen. Maybe you've, maybe you've had friends or family members say, I need you to hear this and you just won't listen. And right now I'm telling you, if you don't receive the truth, don't think you're gonna receive the grace. Love is truth and grace. Now, we're not gonna take you there and then not give you a moment to reflect on that. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace because he knew that peace could not be given an external measure. He didn't come to bring peace to the world and to the governments and to all of those things. He came to bring peace to your soul. Peace is internal. That's what Michelle learned. That's what Cheryl learned. Peace is internal. So that no matter what comes around you, his truth and grace rests in you and you can walk with him in clarity. So I'm gonna pray with you in just a moment. And then after that, we're gonna move into a time of reflection and they're gonna sing a song, the worship team that I'm telling you is so powerful to just be sung over you in that moment as you allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you and you begin to answer these questions honestly. Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, and we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your grace. Holy Spirit, would you speak so clearly? Would your courageous and comforting voice drown out those lies in our head that would keep us from leaving here freer than when we came? Lord, I do, I just declare freedom in this place today. A spirit of salvation, of boldness and of courage that no one would leave this moment having stomached their way through it just to pass over and try and get through to the next, but they would sit, sit in the conviction, sit in the comfort, sit inside of what it means to have the, God's arms wrapped around them. Flow like peace in and through our soul. Fill our every cell, our every thought, our every moment with your river of peace. Amen.